Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I hope you had a great weekend. Man, a lot of stuff took place, didn't it? But I've made an executive decision here right before the show. I've been mulling over one of two issues to start with, and I've decided on an issue that's a big issue, really. It's not a hot-button issue. And I decided on this because I thought back a couple days ago when I played this for a group, family and friends, and they were spellbound, spellbound literally for 17 minutes, listening to what was being said. Thomas Klingenstein is the chairman of the Klammer Institute. I don't believe I've ever met him. Perhaps I did many decades ago. But he gave a short address. It was a short address in July that was sent to me by a friend, and it caught my attention. I don't always listen to these, but I listen to this. And I think it's going to be a wonderful treat for you. So we're going to start the program with this. We'll have to take a break, then we'll complete it, and then we'll jump in with both feet. But I think this is a very, very important, very important statement. So call the family around if you can. If you're in your cars or in your trucks, just put the volume up. Here we go. Cut 28. Go. Many leading Republicans and conservatives want someone other than Donald Trump to run for president in 2024. They say we need someone with Trump's virtue, but without his vices. Fair enough. But this formulation does not get us very far unless we have a proper accounting of his virtues. 
other Republicans say some version of, I like Trump's policies, but I don't like the rest of him. This gets it almost backward. Although Trump advanced many important policies, it is the rest of him that contains the virtue that inspired the movement. Trump was born for the current crisis, the life and death struggle against a totalitarian enemy I call woke communism. The woke comms clench the Democratic Party by the scruff of its neck. They tell us lies and they silence those who challenge the lies. Like most totalitarian regimes, they have a scapegoat, white male. They have a narrative, America is systemically racist. And they have a utopian vision of society where all identity groups are equal in all areas of American life. The woke comms control all the cultural and economic powers in America from where they ruthlessly push their agenda. That agenda rests on the conviction that America is bad. As Trump once said, their goal is not to make America better. Their goal is to end America. Make no mistake, we are in the midst of a cold civil war. Trump awakened the public to this fact. You cannot win a war unless you know you are in one. Trump's critics say he caused or exacerbated the divide in this country. No, he didn't. He revealed, not caused, an existing divide. In war, you must make a stand. For that, we need strong men. Weak men do anything to avoid admitting the hardest truth because they lack the resolve to do what truth demands of them. Trump is a manly man. In present time, when manhood is being stripped of its masculinity, traditional manhood, even when flawed, is absolutely essential. Trump ripped apart people he thought were weak. Sometimes he went overboard, but his supporters excused his excesses because strength is in such short supply. Trump plays to win. When you're in the right, you have a moral duty not just to fight, but to win. And sometimes that means doing distasteful things. There are no clean hands in a fist fight. If there is one thing people know about Donald Trump is that he, that he unlike the woke calm, loves America and wants to preserve the American way of life. Trump is unreservedly, unquestionably 
pro-America. He makes no apologies for America's past. Trump is a refreshing break from the guilt and self-loathing that marks our age. The America Trump wants to recover is the America of his youth, not out of nostalgia, but because this was an America guided by relentless optimism and supported by grit and determination. An America that had done great things in the past and was eager to do more. An America that was properly confident. Trump is still confident in America. In this time of national doubt, this too is just what the doctor ordered. Trump thinks we can vanquish all comers if we just put our mind to it. And he's right. Trump has the courage to defend his own people, a large and impressive political fact. And courage never demands protection. Trump stood up for America every time he violated the strictures of political correctness. He said over and over exactly what political correctness prohibits one from saying. We have a culture, it's exceptional, and that's the way we want to keep it. Trump has made it clear that we have no duty to allow anyone to come into this country and no one has a right to come here. This is our country. And when we do allow foreigners the privilege to come here, they must, as Trump once said, support our values and love our people. Trump said Haiti is a and that Representative Maxine Waters has a low IQ. These were not racist lies. These were uncouth, politically incorrect observations that most of us would agree with, but would not dare say. Conservatives, no less than liberals, are reluctant to criticize black Americans for fear of being called a racist. Trump, on the other hand, is an equal opportunity criticizer. We used to call that colorblindness. From morning to night, we were told that Trump is a racist, but endless repetition does not make it true. It isn't. Trump's contempt for political correctness showed patriotic Americans that its ever-tightening grip could be loosened. As Trump and his supporters know, political correctness cripples our ability to think clearly and act decisively. It is difficult to overestimate the significance of Trump's fight against political correctness 
a fight which most Republicans are reluctant to engage. Only if Americans and their leaders stand up to political correctness and show it the contempt it deserves, is there any chance of preserving the American way of life? Trump treated the woke media with the same contempt he treated political correctness, provoking their outrage and revealing their utter corruption. It seems only Trump understands that the media can neither be negotiated with nor reformed. It must be defeated. Unlike most politicians, when Trump sees a problem, he goes out and fixes it. He fixed our poorest borders. He moved our Israeli embassy to Jerusalem after decades of inaction. He eliminated Hate America critical race theory in his administrative agency. He developed a vaccine in record time. He achieved energy independence and much, much more. Trump is guided by facts and common sense. He has no use for theories because he knows that slavish devotion to theories leads to nonsense. For instance, that children should be able to change their sex, that it is wise to defund the police, that biological boys should be able to compete with girls in athletics. I am certain that, it, that Trump finds it impossible to believe that a woman can be a he. I told you this would be very, very compelling. It's not like it's something new, but it's the way it's been pulled together and explained. How many times have we heard, you know, I love Trump's policies, but what this gentleman is saying, no, it's the but that makes it all possible. It's the but that's so important. When we come back, a few minutes left, have your memory remind you where we just left off. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not, about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, The Meaning and History of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17, I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. 
I think uh, Tom Klingenstein, the chairman of Claremont Institute, as you could hear in that about 10 minutes of comments, frames things in a way that's very important. Now, we only have a couple minutes in this segment, so as it turns out, I can't finish his comments till after the bottom of the hour. But it's very important. You know, the lesson here, or the lesson I would take from this is, and it's a lesson I live by, quite frankly, don't back down. Don't make apologies for your principles, for your values, for your beliefs. Stand firm. You live one life. Don't compromise your soul and your conscience. Don't do it. So if you support somebody, you tell people proudly, I support them. Or if you believe something's right, stand proudly and stand on the right. If you believe somebody is a bully or is abusive, stand up to them. What's the worst that can happen? And in this case, in this case, ladies and gentlemen, we are literally looking at the end of America as we know it and we love it. That's what we're looking at. They are killing America. And so it's very, very important that we have people who are going to fight for this country. Why do you think they want to take Trump out? Why do you think they want to take DeSantis out? So they look at Trump and they say, oh, look at the way he attacks the press. The press deserves to be attacked. Look at the way he doesn't buckle to these charges of racism because he's not a racist. Why can't he (laughs) control himself? Why can't he speak differently? Because he speaks like a lot of people do at the dinner table. So the fault is that he's not a polished politician? That the New York Times would treat him better if he were? That's nonsense. So you can see his strength by his enemies. You can see his strength by his disgruntled former employees. Bill Barr is everywhere. He's on MSNBC. He's on Fox saying stupid things about the Department of Justice. And he's not alone. Former federal prosecutors. I'll get to all them later. He makes enemies. Because he stands up for your principles, your values, your beliefs. And these other people talk a good game, but he stands firm. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty, presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, the meaning and history of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17, I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today 
at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, the voice liberals fear most. And you can call Mark at 877-381-3811. All right, we continue with the final part of Tom Klingenstein's statement on Donald Trump and explaining to people you're complaining about what makes him what he is and why he's needed for a nation that is dying. Cut 29, go. With Trump, what you see is what you get. Authenticity is something you have or you don't. But it takes courage and independence to live authentically. In politics, most find it almost impossible not to be phony, not Trump. Trump taught us crucial things. For starters, that China is a mortal enemy. Before Trump, the public did not realize that now the public does. Likewise, free trade, accepted as a dogma by Republicans and Democrats, is now highly contested. These changes in public sentiment are big accomplishments made possible by qualities other than policy. Trump smoked rat out of hiding places. Because of Trump, we know our intelligence agencies are corrupt. We know also that the mainstream media is not just biased, but it is the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party. A large part of Trump's appeal was that he was a bona fide outsider. He distrusted the experts who believe they know better than the average American how to run the country. This distrust was appealing to Trump's base who believe, and with good reason, that it is the experts who have created the despotic mess in which we find ourselves. Although his own administration sometimes made it difficult for him to get done everything he promised, his supporters knew he was on their side and was trying his damnness not to let them down. Against the advice of most in his party, Trump has not let go of the claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him. His base backs him, and well they should. They know that Republicans will lose all future elections until they get to the bottom of the last one. Trump connected to his audience as Reagan did, because each spoke as a citizen to fellow citizens without a trace of condescension. It wasn't an act, and Americans knew it. Trump may not have worked on a construction site, but he knew his way around one. One can imagine him trading bawdy jokes with his construction workers. 
other presidents have represented the middle class, but none with Trump's common touch. Trump understands, as does the outsourced American worker, that a cheap smartphone is no replacement for a job and a life that it supports. Trump also understands that what Americans of all races and creeds desire are stable communities and the opportunity to raise their families in a culture that values hard work, self-reliance, <coughs> patriotism, and freedom. Some will say Trump is a bad man and that disqualifies him. I do not think Trump is a bad man, but for those who do, I remind them that a bad man in some circumstances can be a good president. If you're dying of thirst and there is only one person offering you water, you accept the water gratefully without much concern for the character of your rescuer. This enumeration of Trump's virtues does not fully capture his uncommon courage and firmness of purpose. Trump is the most towering political figure in living memory. He has, like it or not, defined the politics of our age. In 2016 and 2020, he was the political leader most fit to lead in our warlike circumstances. Trump inspired a movement. If properly deployed, this movement might challenge the woke calm and God willing, save the country. Republicans, however, should not forget that it is his support and the spirit they embrace that have become the life force of the Republican Party. Among the talked about alternatives to Trump, I have not yet seen anyone who possesses or even fully understands Trump's virtue. Nor have I seen anyone with his backbone and fortitude. One does not appreciate the strength of relentless gale force winds until one is in the eye of the storm. I am not suggesting that it is time for everyone to make way for Trump. Rather, that it is much too early to throw him overboard. If Republicans do choose another leader to lead the Trump movement, they must do so in full confidence that he will embody Trump's virtue. If not Trump himself, his virtue must be the standard by which we judge other candidates. There it is. Tom Klingenstein, chairman, Claremont Institute. I hope you felt as I did that that was quite an inspiring statement by the gentleman. He's a scholar, intellectual, and uh, quite, quite good. But you have not heard that put together in that way. Instead, you go to places where you think there are smart people, 
like the Wall Street Journal editorial page, not particularly smart, National Review, not particularly smart, certainly not anymore in some of these other places, and this is what you get. It's much like the legal analysis we see that comes to us through the television and through print. Some people feel they need to be the very first to demonstrate how smart they are as professors or former federal prosecutors or former attorneys general. And if they're not found to be correct, they either pretend they never said it or they attack those who have. We have a Judge Cannon, the Southern District of Florida. She has outstanding credentials. She was one of the last district court judges confirmed before President Trump left office and after the election, but before he left. And she got all Republican votes and half the Democrat votes. But today she's not that bright, we're told. And yet her credentials are stellar, even better than some of the people who attack her. Just so you understand, former federal prosecutors exist by the thousands. There are thousands of former federal prosecutors. Some are brilliant. Some are not. Some are wise. Some are not. It's just the way it is, like judges and anybody else. So here we have Bill Barr, who doesn't understand what the special, what the judge did with the special master. She just didn't understand, and she didn't explain, and she was a little early on the issue of executive privilege. So apparently, she was supposed to write a 150-page Supreme Court opinion addressing whether or not a special master should be appointed to oversee what the Department of Justice did. Now, he was an attorney general. I was chief of staff to an attorney general. Andy McCarthy was an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. He never worked at Maine Justice. But they're all excited about the idea that the Department of Justice can do this on its own. And besides, the Trump people waited two weeks. Well, it's my understanding the Trump people had difficulty getting lawyers. Because the lawyers are constantly under attack. The lawyers who work for Trump. And so this is intentional in many respects. And then they don't understand why the judge would intercede now because the department is done. But that is disingenuous. When the department heard the judge say, when the department heard the judge say that she was inclined to have a special counsel or a special master, the department should have stopped. It's like if you know a lawsuit's coming, you can't hurry up and start destroying all your records even if you haven't yet received some kind of a protective request, letter, or even order from a judge. Then you have to step back and ask yourselves, what the hell is this all about? Documents. They have them dead to rights, don't you know? 
he took documents that didn't belong to him. Mar-a-Lago was like one of these away White Houses, Mar-a-Lago and the property he has in New Jersey. We don't know what he took when. And so far, we haven't read anything about that. What we do know is that the government, in an overly broad search warrant, approved not by a federal judge, took attorney-client privileged information. Now we learn that it's hundreds of pages. They said just a little bit. I think they said 500 pages. That they took his, some of his tax information. They took some of his medical records. Well, of course, it's his home. And they grabbed everything they could. And then there is the issue of executive privilege, which hasn't been resolved. But it's too early to resolve that. So the judge is too late when it comes to a special master. But she's too soon when it comes to a possible issue of executive privilege. This is the crap we're getting from Barr and company who feed off each other. There's a piece in National Review. Unpacking Judge Cannon's order for a special master in Trump search. The dripping arrogance of this piece cannot be missed. Separate civil action. Of course, they can bring a separate civil action. Jurisdiction. There is no question about standing. None. We already know that all these documents do not belong to the government. And incidentally, how do we know that this is all the attorney-client privileged information? Because this group of attorneys or prosecutors that the Department of Justice said so? Well, how, what if they're wrong? That's why you need an independent adjudication. What if they're wrong about certain pieces of information they grabbed in all the boxes they took out of the former president's home? But she's exercising her equitable jurisdiction. So what? Special masters are appointed all the time. Local courts, state courts, even federal courts. But not in this situation, Mark. We've never had this situation, Mark. Ever. Ever. And so perhaps what the judge was thinking but decided not to articulate for many reasons is that this search was way too broad and that the search warrant was way too broad, but it hasn't really been challenged. But still, she has an obligation, if she's a professional, which she clearly is, to at least put a Band-Aid on it. In one way, you can do that, at least put the Band-Aid on it, not salvage it completely, is to allow for a special master. The standing question was just too stupid to even, quote-unquote, unravel, as I said. Whether you look at it as a documents issue, that is, of course, there's a lot of irrelevant documentation under their control. We know this from their representations. Clothing and so forth, newspaper articles. So they didn't unpack Judge Cannon's order over there at National Review even though they think that they're smarter than the judge. When we come back, I want you to hear what Bill Barr had to say, because he's everywhere now. He is welcome on MSNBC. 
His smirk has gotten bigger and bigger. And I want to address this. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not, about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty, presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, The Meaning and History of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17th, I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. I'll have to get to this bar stuff next hour as well as others. People say this election, what is this election about? I'll make it very, very simple so they can even understand at Mediate, Media Matters, the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, the Constipated News Network, MSLSD, and the other rat holes. This election is about those who love the country and those who hate the country. It's that simple. This election is about those who love the country and those who hate the country. Those who are trying to defend its principles, its history, its children, the people of faith, the economic system, and those who are destroying it. That's the choice in this election. Let me repeat it between those who love the country and those who hate the country. The leadership of the Democrat Party hates America. They hate the Constitution. They hate the First Amendment. They hate the Second Amendment. They hate the Fourth and Fifth Amendments and the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Unless, of course, they can use them to their advantage. But when it applies to people across the board, they hate them. They hate true freedom of the press, true free speech, true freedom of association, the right to bear arms. They hate true due process and so forth. They hate separation of powers. They hate the independence, not just of the judiciary, but the independence of you, each citizen, individual liberty. They hate faith although they may feign to practice it, because it gets into the way of their indoctrination and their ideology. They hate the nuclear family. They hate American history. They hate the Declaration. They hate the nation's sovereignty. They hate law enforcement. They hate the United States military. They are the haters. 
This election is between those who love America and those who hate America. There. It's that simple. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. You know, when you think back in even more modern history, who are the great people? Were they just embraced and accepted? Churchill. Churchill was despised, he was considered extremely controversial. Now we all know what a tremendous leader Churchill Churchill was. George S. Patton. He didn't conduct himself like other generals. He wasn't a Millie, a Mattis, a Kelly, one of our greatest generals ever. More recently, England. England was dying in the 1970s. The government owned almost all the industries. The labor movement had been taken over by the Marxists. It looked like there was no end to what was going to take place. They elected the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher. A few years later in our own country, after Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, the country was sinking. We elected Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was not supported by his party, the Republican establishment. In Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu is considered controversial. He's not controversial. Again, one of the great leaders of all times. If the Israelis are smart, they'll bring him back, especially now since they're on the brink. Many of you may not know this, but Abraham Lincoln was considered very controversial. He got elected first with a minority of the popular vote. He was not even expected to win. And when he ran for re-election, many expected him to lose to McClellan until there were some battleground victories, including the Battle of Atlanta. It was considered very controversial. Now let's put some things in context here. Bill Barr and others. Documents. Documents were at Mar-a-Lago. At the country club. That's not where the country club is, but it doesn't matter. They're part of the put-down club. They're part of the 
former employee disgruntlement club. Barr was embarrassed by Trump. Trump gave him the boot. Okay, fine, I get it. But now he's on his hate on tour. That's what I don't get and that's what I don't like. Particularly when you consider what we're up against in this country. What would Bill Barr have said had he been Attorney General? When Abraham Lincoln ordered individuals in Maryland who were stopping the militia from New England from coming down and protecting Washington, D.C., imprisoned on site by the United States military without habeas corpus. What would Bill Barr have said? It's right there in the Constitution. He violated the Constitution. Should Lincoln have been impeached? I'm just curious. What would our former federal prosecutors say today? Even though there weren't any back then that I can think of. Or how about this one? When Lincoln gave a nod to his Secretary of War to shut down newspapers. They were giving aid and comfort to the Confederacy. 200 of them, give or take. What will Bill Barr say about that? It's right there in the First Amendment, you know. Yeah, it's true. What would Bill Barr say when a Republican congressman was condemning the war effort? Listen to this one, Mr. Producer. And Lincoln had him removed. Not just from Congress, but from his state. What would Bill Barr say about that? Would Bill Barr say Abraham Lincoln was our greatest president? I think he was, or certainly one of them. Those were extreme times, there's no question about it. What would Bill Barr say? If Ronald Reagan or George Bush or George Bush or one of them had documents at their home. But they didn't. Only Trump did. This law, the Presidential Records Act, has only been in place since 1978. And if I asked Bill Barr to take an oath under penalty of perjury on first-hand knowledge if these presidents have ever taken documents home and didn't return them, he couldn't take that oath. Neither could a single legal analyst on television, let alone whether they're classified. And we didn't all, we didn't all, you know, sense what's going on, or we weren't all given birth one month ago. This is one in a hundred efforts to take Trump out as a candidate, as a president-elect, as a president, and as a potential candidate again. You got Nancy Pelosi in Congress, who's abused her power. There's still individuals voting who don't show up for work. That's outrageous. 
that undermines the whole purpose of a representative government. And she still uses the virus as an excuse. Are you aware of that? They hand their proxies to other Democrats. She conducted two impeachments, violating the traditions and practices of every former impeachment. But she didn't care. She sets up the January 6th committee. Do you remember how many Democrats, never Trumpers, individuals in the media were saying, indict Trump, indict him now, indict him now on January 6th? Indict him for what? For what? Impeach him for what? Criminally investigating with the Mueller. The Mueller, for what? For all the reasons that we were told earlier in the program in that beautiful short speech by Tom Klingenstein. And now, of course, it's dead to rights. It's over. It's over. Don't you know? He has documents. He has classified. Clearly, that violates this, that, and the other. The Espionage Act was never intended to apply to a president and does not. The Presidential Records Act has no penalties. And so we're left with obstruction. Obstruction. And Bill Barr hasn't read the certification that was signed by the lawyer where he'd know he's on weak ground there. So now we have to attack the appointment of a special master. I told you this would happen. And I told you it should happen. Here's Bill Barr on Fox Today with Martha McCallum. Cut one, go. Well, I agree with Andy, uh, who wrote an article. That's Andy McCarthy, who writes these, in my view, very contradictory pieces, and then cites himself. I'm, I'm not attacking him. I'm just explaining why it's important to listen to other people, but it's also important to go to original sources. Go ahead. Well, I agree with Andy, uh, who wrote an article in the National Review this morning, sort of dismantling the opinion. The I don't opinion. think the opinion was dismantled in the least. The judge was right. Go ahead. I think was wrong, and I think the government should appeal it. Uh, it's deeply flawed. So Bill Barr is hoping the government appeals it, and this goes on for many more months. Because that's the way it works. Should appeal it. Country's gone to hell. The FBI's gone to hell. The Department of Justice has gone to hell. The world's on the brink, and this idiot is caught up in his own hate cycle. Go ahead. Of ways. I don't think the appointment of a special uh, master is going to hold up, but even if it does, I don't see it fundamentally changing the trajectory. I, in other words, I don't think it changes the ball game so much as maybe we'll have a rain, uh, rain delay for a couple yeah. of innings. But I think that the fundamental dynamics. So, what's of the, the problem? And he wants it appealed. This is a, a decision effectively in equity. Why would you appeal that? What's the point of that? Unless you're in the mindset of the FBI and the former federal prosecutors. Go ahead. 
that, which is the government has very strong evidence of what it really needs to determine whether charges are appropriate, which is government documents were taken, classified information was taken and not handled appropriately. And How do you know uh, it wasn't handled appropriately, by the way? How do we know that? Well, it wasn't in a secured area. Then why did they take so long to act while they were being, you know, Beneficent. No, 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 no. That doesn't make any sense. So they knew that Trump had something akin to classified document. They don't even have to be classified. Put the substance aside for 19 months and it wasn't secured in a proper area. But all of a sudden, it's criminalized. Does that make sense to anybody? Go ahead. They are looking into, and there's some evidence to suggest that they were deceived. And, and none of that really relates to the content of documents. It relates to what the fact that there were See documents. See the slippery slope? Well, first we talk about the Espionage Act and the contents. It's, it's classified. What's he doing with classified? Violates the Espionage Act. No, no, not, not so much. No, I mean, we're not, we're not really talking about that now. Forget about the contents of the document. We're talking about the fact of the documents being at a country club. Go ahead. And the fact that they were classified and the fact that they were subpoenaed and never delivered. But they don't have to show the content, you know, the specific advice given in a memo, for example, in order to prevail in this case. So I think um, it's not really going to change. Depending on what it is that they're appealing. They're just appealing this. But what he forgets to mention it is it's the government that brought up the nature of the documents. The government hasn't been arguing. We're very, very narrowly arguing two things that he's got documents he shouldn't have and potential deception. That's not what the government said when it got its search warrant. It specifically listed the Espionage Act as well as other potential criminal statutes and then said, and by the way, we want everything. And they got everything. And this judge is trying to unravel it, trying to figure out what's everything. Well, the Department of Justice says this is everything. It says, well, I can't rely on that. This is how stupid these people have become, how moronic these people have become. Truly. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's a another something else pure talk is going to give you this month when you switch to pure talk you pay for month one and pure talk will give you month two for free so do this just go to puretalk.com choose your plan then enter promo code levin podcast that's l-e-v-i-n podcast and check out and get your second month free go to puretalk.com enter promo code levin podcast to switch to my company pure talk Let me see if I can frame this 
a little bit more succinctly. Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, ultimately oversees this entire process. Even confessed that he made the final decision on the search warrant. He's the appointee of Joe Biden. He's a Democrat. Donald Trump is a potential Republican candidate for president to replace Joe Biden. Merrick Garland set this entire thing in motion. He set it in motion. He's the one who decided to criminalize the matter. In the end, it's him. And Bill Barr and others believe that the same department headed by the same conflicted attorney general who should have recused himself that now sets up this phony bifurcation of document review that it was really out of bounds for this judge to order the appointment of a special master. This is how unhinged bars become and the others have become. They don't look at that and say, this whole thing is dirty from beginning to end. The fact that in Indeed, there were documents that were scooped up, that were hoovered up, that had nothing to do with the overly broad search warrant in the first place. And they keep moving the ball. Don't look at the Espionage Act. Look at obstruction. Don't look at obstruction. Look at the Presidential Records Act. Uh, And then uh, don't look at executive privilege because that's not been resolved. Don't look here. Look there. Don't look here. They sound like morons this judge did exactly the right thing which is why they scorn her Merrick Garland pulled this trigger he should never have pulled this trigger he has not recused himself they don't even ask if he's involved in intimate details of this case they just say let justice do what it does screw Trump In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's another something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for month one, and Pure Talk will give you month two for free. So do this. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and check out and get your second month free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast to switch to my company, Pure Talk. 
Mark Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. Stop listening to these people. You know, it's interesting, Mr. Producer, they all have some kind of connection to Bush or Cheney or the Republican establishment, ultimately. Have you noticed that? You know, come on now, folks, you can do this. You know, uh, in the book I wrote on freedom of the press, I give chapter and verse of this ideological shift in fairly modern so-called journalism from pretending to be objective and impartial to pretending to be objective and impartial while at the same time being radical left-wing Democrats. And this contradiction is not lost on any of you. It's phony. And the very people destroying freedom of the press while they pretend to be defending it. John Harwood is the latest to enunciate openly the mindset In his last day at the Constipated News Network last Friday. And these guys are so sanctimonious. It really is remarkable. And I truly do hope it's a truly new day at CNN. Where they're trying to be a truly open news operation. And they can send all the kook nuts, freaks, radicals, Marxists over to MSNBC, where they can enjoy Joy Reid, Sacco and Vansetti, better known as the Scarboroughs, uh, any other reprobates and malcontents. But anyway, here's John Harwood on his last day. Cut seven, go. Of course, it was a political speech. We're talk- All right, let me, let me reset it. He's talking about Biden. Cut seven, go. Of course, it was a political speech. We're talk- in a midterm re-election year. Uh, the issues that he's talking about are inherently political. But I think it's also important to say that the core point he made in that political speech about a threat to democracy is true. Now, that's something that's not easy for us as journalists to say. We're brought up to believe there's two uh, different political parties with different uh, points of view, and we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them. But that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Republican Party right now is led by a dishonest demagogue. Many, many Republicans are rallying behind his lies about the 2020 election and other things as well. And a significant portion or a uh, sufficient portion uh, of the constituency that they're leading attacked the Capitol on January 6th violently by... uh, Offering pardons. Right, whoa, 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 whoa. A significant portion attacked the Capitol violently? The guy gets 75 million votes? This isn't even a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. But I just wish he was so concerned in 2020 when the Democrat militia went out. I just wish he was so concerned. And the Democrat militia were threatening Supreme Court justices and the Supreme Court itself. And one of their militia threatened to assassinate up to three Supreme Court justices. I just wish after 2016 when the Democrats kept denying the Trump presidency and in fact were involved in sabotaging it with coup efforts and 
impeachments and criminal investigation. I just wish they were so concerned about democracy then. And that wasn't a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. That was the entire Democrat Party apparatus, including the media. They didn't accept the 2016 election. Even members of this Stalinist January 6th committee didn't accept the results of the 2016 election. In fact, they didn't accept the results of the 2000 election with Bush and Cheney, did they? Go ahead. Pardons for those people who violently attacked the Capitol, uh, which you've been pointing out uh, numerous times this morning. Donald Trump made Joe Biden's point for him. There you go. But his point, his point is, we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them, but that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Democrat Party is killing America. The apparatus and the apparatchiks, I should say, of the Democrat Party are destroying America. They hate America. That's why they embrace all these Marxist movements. And so do the Democrats. Not you, the rank and file. Not you, the, the union members. You know who I mean. Margaret Cleveland writes a long but important piece in The Federalist. And one of the things I want to point out here, she says the special master order reveals Biden's direct involvement in Trump raid and six other bombshells. But let's look at the first bombshell. Because this wasn't pointed out by Bill Barr or the legal analysts on television. And she points out, following the archives outreach to the Justice Department, the archives notified Trump on April 12, it intended to provide the 15 boxes to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Trump's attorneys sought a delay in the transfer to assess whether any documents contained privileged material. But then, as Judge Cannon wrote, after obtaining a short delay on May 10, 2022, the archives informed Trump it would proceed with, quote, providing the FBI access to the records in question as requested by the incumbent president beginning as early as Thursday, May 12th. as requested by the incumbent president. And including this quote in her order, Judge Cannon cited the letter the archives acting archivist sent to Trump's lawyers. That letter explained that Biden had decided to defer to the archivist's determination, quote, in consultation with the assistant attorney general for the office of legal counsel regarding whether or not the archivist should uphold the former president's purported protective assertion of executive privilege, unquote. Acting archivist Deborah Steidel Wall then explained in a letter that based on her consultation with the assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel, she decided not to honor Trump's claim of privilege. So there you have Biden himself. The attorney general himself has said that he authorized the, the search warrant. And Barr doesn't mention any of this today. Neither do the other legal analysts. And while the media has previously highlighted those aspects of the letter, 
Monday's order highlighted a key sentence in the same letter that went less noticed by the press. The archives will provide the FBI access to the records in question, it says, as requested by the incumbent president. Beginning as early as Thursday, May 12, 2022. Did they lie in that letter? Did they lie? This language indicates Biden not merely deferred to the archives, but asked the archives to give the documents to the FBI. Now, of course, deferring to the archives judgment equated to Biden authorizing the handoff to the FBI. But this passage suggests a more direct connection between Biden and the investigation into Trump. How do you like that? Oh, my goodness. Who would have thought? And yet we're supposed to jump up and down in shock and disgust that this judge ordered a special master to review documents. How can that be standing? What a stupid argument. Equity. Yeah, what's the problem? Does she have what another stupid argument? There was only a few attorney-client privilege. Who says? The government. What another stupid argument. There is no executive privilege. It's too early. What, a, what another stupid argument. So stupid is what we get. And I don't know what these people are getting paid. I don't know. Is Barr just showing up for free? Maybe he is. But free is too much. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's an Another something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for month one, and Pure Talk will give you month two for free. So do this. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And check out and get your second month free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast to switch to my company, Pure Talk. I sit here and think about these. Now you know why I'm so thoroughly disliked by the powers that be. I suppose I could do what everybody else does and pretend they're not out there pushing their propaganda and so forth and so on. Get invited to the right parties and social events and Christmas parties, which I don't even like anyway. But I don't. My obligation is to you and the truth. It's not to them. I'm not part of this system. I'm just not. I'm not a loner. I have family and friends who I love and adore, but I, I really want nothing to do with this crowd. Nothing. I don't care if they're Democrats, Republicans, media, 
billionaires, homeless people. It doesn't matter to me. They have no sway over me. I'm a red-blooded yank. That's what I am. And I don't like bullies. And people who assume they're going to get away with stuff. I know when my time comes, there'll be the nastiest, most grotesque statements said about me. I know this. They're already all over the place. I tell my family to ignore it. Ignore it. There'll be no ticker tapes or anything for that, nor do I want them. Glory is fleeting, as Patton said, and it's true. The little time I have on this planet, I'm going to fight for us. I'm going to fight for our cause. I'm going to fight for our principles. I'm going to fight for our country and my family. And that's the way it is. There'll be radio stations that don't like it. There'll be executives that don't like it. There'll be TV stations that don't like it. Well, you know what? Too bad. Too bad. You know, the sad thing is, I've got stories here that I really, really want to get into, but I'll, I'll, let me move quickly on a few of them before this hour ends. You know, Eric Wrighton. Eric Wrightens. Um, he served in high office in Missouri. He sought the nomination to run for the Senate as a Republican. This man was smeared left and right. And you won't see this in many places. Just the news has it. Judge rules Eric Reitens of Missouri did not engage in a pattern of domestic violence or abuse of children. Unfortunately, it comes a little late because that's what was used against him by his ex-wife, among others. A judge has ruled that former Missouri Governor Eric Reitens did not engage in a pattern of domestic violence or abuse his minor children, bringing an abrupt end to allegations from his ex-wife that fueled a multi-million dollar political ad campaign that sank his political comeback last month. You'll notice I didn't endorse anybody in that campaign because this made me sick to my stomach. I even said to my wife, I'm not so sure about all these allegations and the timing of them. I've met this man. I mean, I don't know him. The court finds by preponderance of the evidence that there has been no pattern of domestic violence by either mother or father. The children have never been at risk or vulnerable at the hands of either parent. Court has not yet made the ruling public, but what are they waiting for? It's anticlimactic end to a normally private divorce dispute that spilled into public and was exploited by a negative political ad campaign. The political drama began when his ex-wife... March 21 affidavit alleging her husband abused her and her two boys was made public in the spring. Their two boys. At the time, Eric Reitens had been leading for months in the GOP primary race for the U.S. Senate nomination as he waged a comeback from a 2018 sex scandal that derailed his career as governor. The former governor vehemently denied the abuse allegations, but Missouri news media aired them for months while the case played out in private. And I read from here, establishment Republicans like Carl Rove and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell put their muscle into defeating Greitens as outside groups poured millions into negative ads using the abuse allegations. 
So writes Just the News. One super PAC alone called Show Me the Values PAC reported spending nearly $8 million on ads trying to defeat Greitens. One of their ads featured a woman reading his ex-wife's affidavit out loud. Eric Greitens, a retired Navy SEAL, created some controversy of his own by airing an ad less than a month after the Uvalde uh, school shooting in which he carried a gun, claimed he was rhino hunting to eliminate moderates known as Republicans in name only. The judge in the domestic case continued her investigation in private. As Greitens and his ex-wife took to social media and television to air their allegations. She ultimately came to a decision three weeks after the primary, ruling it would be better for the child custody case to move to Texas in the future. How do you like destroying somebody like that, Mr. Producer? And McConnell and his boy spent millions and millions of dollars participating in the destruction of this man. Remember, we had inquiries from candidates in that state. I said, no, something doesn't smell right. The show me state. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. This War on Cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now. 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, now and then, I need to educate myself. Now, some of you may, may think I know everything, but I actually don't. And uh, David Limbaugh is certainly one of my best friends, and for a long time. And he doesn't get the credit... <laughs> that he deserves for his uh, fantastic writing, his columns, and so forth. He's a modest man. He's a humble man. uh, And he's a good man. He's a very faithful man. And he and his eldest, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom, together, father, daughter, wrote a book called The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Now, as you know, I'm a Jew. So I figure I'm no expert on this, but it's a fascinating book. It is a compelling book, and I want David to talk to us about some of this. David Limbaugh, how are you, my friend? 
Mark, thank you so much for having me on. I know it's a little strange since I'm a Christian. And <laughs> Not at all. We're on the same side. We're on the yes. same side on everything. Yep. Um, so let's start this. What's it like writing a book with your daughter? Uh, you know, it was really gratifying and inspiring. I She's been writing uh, columns for Fox for some time and started her own blog called Hap Loose. I don't know how to pronounce it. And she has a following there. And she's very spirit-filled and faithful and a prayer warrior. She's just totally uh, into her faith. And because she took to writing, and, and I write, uh, and I write, write Christian books, I wanted to offer her the possibility of collaborating with me uh, on this book. And she did. And I really think that, I mean, we all want to help our kids, of course, so I can't deny that. But I really think this is by far the best of my five Christian books, is the fifth. Uh, this one I wrote with her, and it's because she uh, joined with me and added so much to it in, in terms of her contributions to the text and also interspersed throughout every chapter of the book are prayers designed to draw the reader closer uh, to God and Christ and and. She is just. She's got such a facility with prayer. She's, as I said, spirit filled, and she she prays legitimately throughout the day. I mean, I'm more into the head knowledge than I am the experiential. I'm one of these guys who, you know, I I don't um, I I have not I now I do pray and I read the Bible a lot, but I've been my orientation and emphasis has been studying the Bible and theology, and not that she doesn't do that. She does, but she also is so into the spiritual disciplines and praying and she can talk directly to God and you can ask her somebody called me once to pray for them they knew I was a Christian I said you know I I can I'd love to but if you don't mind I want to add my daughter to this call because she's so much better at this than I am so I called her and she jumped at it and she just blew me away she's so articulate with the prayers and Mm so uh, she can fine-tune everything so it was it's it's she did that and I think this these prayers and I'll I'll abbreviate the rest of this answer to quit, uh, you know, no, filibustering. But, but, but these prayers cause the reader to interact with the text, and they're designed to help the reader ask God to help them understand the text and the Bible, and uh, just to bring them in closer relationship with God, and to incentivize them to read the Bible, which is the, which is the plan with all my books. My book isn't the Bible, our book isn't the Bible, it isn't Scripture, but we hope to inspire lay people uh, with, uh, you know, a real energetic desire to read the Bible, which we think then will bless them and, and lead to, to uh, so much uh, spiritual fulfillment. You dedicate the book to your brother Rush and to his fans. Explain that. Well, you know, Rush um, was my brother and and we were together you know we grew up together obviously and only two years apart and we're very close and became way closer the older we got and we had a professional relationship and a very close personal relationship and probably texted each other 25 times a day never talked rarely talked on the phone because of his hearing problem as you know but we just talked about all kinds of things mundane matters tv shows we're watching books we're reading politics um, and then spirituality, too, as it turned out. 
But, you know, when, when he died, it was, a, you know, complete devastation to me. And that's not to, to try to get sympathy for, from the audience. It's, it's been a year and a half, but it was really hard. And I know it was for you, too. Uh, and you weren't even related to him, although he adored you and you guys were so close and had such a trusting, mutually trusting relationship. But, you know, I've, I've, he's, he was so generous to me, so good to my kids. Uh, financially and with his time, and he he just did more for me than I could ever have done for him, and uh, it, it was that way throughout from the time of his success. He brought me along with him, and so I I can't do enough, but I wanted to dedicate the book to him and also to his adoring fans who I, I don't know if you've ever, it's not like you have time to go around and look at my Twitter feed, but you wouldn't believe the outpouring of love that and respect that goes on every day, every just out of the blue. I miss your brother so much. He was the best friend I never knew. It, there's a void can never be replaced. It's all I miss true. his analysis. Yeah, and, and these Democrats are destroying the country, and we need his we need his insight. We need his commentary. We need him to boost us and build us up. Because one of the best things Rush did was build people up. He was, you know, enthusiastically uh, and contagiously optimistic, even in the midst of the hell we were going through before he died, and which has accelerated in, in warp speed since he died. And people are saying, boy, he's better off in heaven than having to deal with this, but we sure wish he was back here. So I wanted to acknowledge uh, the fans and, and thank them for this because – Thank them for him and the loyalty they've shown to him and their their love for him. It, it truly is sustaining, and it's overwhelming to me, and I can't even respond. I mean, there's so much. I've, I've received tens of thousands of communications on the various media and, and phone and text and everything and email and DMs on Twitter and tweets on Twitter. It, it, it would blow you away, and it would make anybody feel like a million dollars to know that they had a brother that was that loved and that important to so many people to uh, for the country. You know, as I, I went through your book, David Limbaugh, your breadth and depth of knowledge on this subject is remarkable. Uh, how did you get to this point where you, uh, and by the way, it's not just the New Testament, the Old Testament as well in your past, but I'm, in this book in particular, yeah. how did you get how did you get to where you are? Almost, it's scholarly like. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I I uh, started off. I was a skeptic years ago, and I kind of came to the faith kicking and screaming, trying to find out if it was true. So I started studying, reading the Bible, reading theology, reading apologetics, was the defense of the Christian faith by scholars and and Bible teachers, etc. And I actually was overwhelmed with what I consider to be the evidence uh, of Jesus Christ and, and all he stood for. And I, I, just, I just kept studying. I was so enthusiastic when I realized, in my view, in my, when I became convinced, I should say, that the Bible was the Word of God. I had almost an epiphany where I was so excited about the Bible. I, I can't believe it. I've got this book that I thought before was just some boring book of uh, old tales and, and not false tales, but just old unrelatable types of stories and principles and whatever. 
but I've never really given it a try. And once I really uh, decided, or, or once it really occurred to me that the Bible was the Word of God, it blew me away, and I thought, look, I'm holding in my hands a series of 66 books written by 40 authors from totally different geographical uh, locations and different nationalities and several different languages, and yet it all fits together. It's an integrated whole of God's, of man's fall, man's, God's creation of man, his fall into sin, and then God's provision of redemption for mankind. And it's a, it's a really a touching love story. And I, when, I, when I finally became convinced that the Bible was the Word of God, I was so blown away that I had to inhale it. So I did beginning, begin to read it and read everything I could about it that I trusted. You know, you know we, have, we have people we trust in, in our various fields of study. And I think I had some level of discernment uh, of who the people were that I could trust, not the crackpots, but the mainstream people that were conservative evangelicals. And I, I really came away with such an appreciation for the Bible. And I started teaching Sunday school on and off at my church, and that went well. I found that I, I could communicate these ideas in a way that I wish someone had communicated to me when I was a skeptic. But so many people talk over your head when they are an expert and you're not. And I felt like, yeah, I'm not a trained theologian. I'm not a trained pastor. Uh, but I have the background of, of understanding what it's like not to understand. And then I can help people on, my, on the level I was on by relating to them in a way that I wish somebody had done to me, for me. And so I, when I start writing these, these, these uh, books, depends which one, but this book uh, is on seven of the Apostle Paul's epistles. And he wrote 13. I, just, I uh, covered six of them in the last book. In this book, Kristen and I covered seven of these. Four of them are the prison epistles when he was locked in prison in Rome, sometimes house arrest, sometimes in a dungeon. And he wrote these four moving letters in which he discussed theology and doctrine and training up pastors and, and, and the pastoral epistles, the other three. And so I go through these books, these letters, uh, chapter chapter and verse, literally verse by verse, and either state the verse or paraphrase it, always staying true to Scripture, because those of us who try to teach the Bible have a sacred duty not to twist God's words. I mean, that's a, a real sin. So it's a it's a it's kind of a daunting task to undertake this. And so you have to be really careful to stay true to the word. And so I, I would do that. And then I would add commentary at our own. We would add our own insights, Kristen and I. And then we would get commentary from experts that we trust and put that to help people. Some of the old, uh, they're, they're called, you know, the, the Christian the, the church, early church fathers who first started writing about Christianity after the apostles, Jesus and the apostles had died, and all their, their writings are preserved. So I would, I would quote a lot of those people because they offer so much insight. And then the current commentators who are so good, I won't mention their names, so many of them. And I add their insights, hoping that the reader will get, will be exposed to commentary that he, and ideas that they would never be exposed to because they're not going around reading theology. It's like uh, like you guys on radio. I, I read this for you so you don't have to, that kind of a, a thing. And, so, and, and it, might, it might help them, and it might stimulate. But, Mark, the whole purpose of all this 
is to inspire people, excite people about the Bible, convince them, help convince them that it is the Word of God, and then create a fire in them, stir a fire in them to read it for themselves. Because we're not, you know, what we write is not God's Word. It's only about God's Word. But we want to generate enthusiasm, and that's what we hope we've done. And I, I, yeah, it's sometimes when I read these after I've done them, uh, after I've written them, I actually think God had a hand in them. And this is this is humble, not this is not bragging because any any end product like this is it, to the extent that it's good is 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 God's work. And and I don't say that as I was telling Sean, I don't say that as a cliche or some virtue signaling pretend humility. It's really true to whatever extent that there's wisdom in here, it's imparted from God. And um, I just. Sometimes when I read these after I write them, and, I'm, and, and Kristen feels the same way, I go, I didn't write that. I don't, I'm not saying some supernatural weird thing that I didn't write this and, and God guided my pen. But I am saying, I, I go, wow, this is, this is better than I thought. You know, you, you have that feeling mm-hmm. when you probably write books. Oh, yeah. And so thanks for saying that because I, I sometimes don't know where this stuff comes from, to be honest, other than study and interaction here with Kristen. Well, um People know, I think, who listen to this program. When you write, it's really a uh, solitary thing. Or yeah, really. When you write with your daughter, it's just the two of you. You're by yourself. Yeah. You're thinking things through. Maybe you're bouncing off a few people. But if you actually write it like you do, yeah. it really it really focuses the mind, the heart, and the soul. Every single sentence. All right. When we come back, more from our buddy David Limbaugh here. Folks, you can go to Amazon.com right now and get a copy of the book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Look, I'm not going to kid you. It's really a book for Christians or people who want to be Christian, but it is a fantastic book. For me, it's a fantastic history book, too. So you can go to Amazon.com, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. I'll be right back. Mark We're going to continue with David Limbaugh after the bottom of the hour because this is a very, very short segment. So, David Limbaugh, when you compare this, well, let me just say this to the audience. I talk often about Judaism and the state of Israel and so forth. So when I have an opportunity to bring David on with one of his fantastic books, I grab it because, number one, to be fair to everybody, and number two, because he can speak to these issues that I cannot speak to. And I think it's very, very important because I really do believe we are a Judeo-Christian nation. We were certainly founded on that, weren't we, David? Do I have David there? I don't have David there. Let's see if we can find him. Yeah. We're looking, ladies and gentlemen. The answer is yes. And so... And I say this as as a Jewish person, that I am very, very grateful that this nation is so welcoming and its arms are so open. I'm grateful for the founding of this country and for the Constitution. David Limbaugh, you're there now? He dropped off. We lost him. But it's a short segment anyway. But you folks get my point? And early on in the Liberty and Tyranny, I make this point. You can be an atheist. You can be an agnostic. You can be nothing, you can be something, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the history of the nation. 
and that many of the founders, for sure, framers too, look to the Judeo-Christian writings as well as they look to philosophers and embraced Reformation, embraced the Renaissance. They looked everywhere. But in the end, it was still those Judeo-Christian values. And of course, the further away we get from those, and the more we attack the nuclear family, and the more we undermine our founding documents and our history, well, the less we're America. And that's exactly what the American Marxists are up to. And so that's why it is important, I think, just every now and then to hit the brakes and to get into this subject, and nobody better than David Lumbo. We will reconnect with David after the break. I'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Well, we got David Limbaugh back. David Limbaugh. The book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. You can get it on Amazon.com right now. It's brand new, right off the presses. David Limbaugh, I was, I was saying that we are a nation founded in Judeo-Christian values. And you've written several books. And explain why that's the case, and that, in fact, it is the case. Yeah, we, uh, and I've done a lot of studying on this, and in my book, my 2005 book, Persecution, which I talked about the persecution of uh, the liberals' persecution against Christians in America, um, I discussed the, the Christian and Judeo-Christian roots of this country and how uh, those principles undergird the Constitution and, and um, how the Ten Commandments and the rest of it that you and I both believe in uh, serve as a foundation, the moral principles and the cultural ideas that really are the rock and foundation underneath the Constitution, which is itself a foundation for our liberties. But there are so many writings showing from, from, from the, the founding fathers and the early presidents and, and uh, office holders uh, who were committed Christians and who, who believed that the 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 country's dedication to these principles were necessary to preserve liberty because ultimately if the culture breaks down then the the constitution can break down because you've got judges human beings who are appointed to be judges 
and justices who are to, for example, to uphold the Constitution. You've written so extensively on this. But if these people become radical leftists and, and godless secularists who don't believe in any of these things, then they believe the end justifies the means. It's all tied to the, what, what the Marxists believe. The end justifies the means. Therefore, you can change the meaning of words. You can say the Constitution doesn't mean what it the, the framers said it meant. And so you can twist everything, despite how brilliantly the Constitution was written. And so when you get that kind of intellectual and moral chaos, the very foundations of, of the government begin to implode. And we've seen that in recent years. You have in your book the Christian living, the sound doctrine, the Christian living. I mean, I'm going to say explain that, obviously, People can read about this, and I think everybody has a sense of what this means. But explain what you what you write here. Explain what you mean. Now, the 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 where where are you reading there on the, in the book? I'm looking at chapter uh, chapter five. Sound uh, doctrine, oh, Timothy. Oh, sound doctrine, Christian living. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, uh, this is the book First Timothy uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to his understudy and his beloved colleague, Timothy, and he's trying to uh, lay out Christian doctrine and trying to encourage him uh, in how he should, he and other uh, teachers and pastors uh, should go out and spread the gospel. Because when the gospel started, it was under fire by the Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, they, and then there were people, there would be people in the church. See, we have that in common. We do. We do. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and people started. Uh, yeah, good point. I didn't even mean I didn't. Even, I got lucky on that one. Now, the, the people start uh, to preach what Paul called false teachings. And it was very important to him that it, for the gospel to survive and to flourish, he had to lay out the doctrine, what what the, he believed that Jesus uh well, not believed, he, it was revealed to him by God and by Jesus what the, the gospel was. And so he, and then when people in, in the churches that he founded, and he founded all kinds of churches on his missionary journeys, when they started deviating from those principles for their own aggrandizement or pride or whatever, he wrote these letters to reprimand them and to bring the, the church back to true doctrine, because it's just like today, analogous in, in a secular analogy. If we, if we don't adhere to, to our principles, to our founding principles, it will not work. We won't work. Just the, 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 the American experiment will not work, and we're seeing that happen if people uh, begin to trash it and to distort it, and, and that's what the, the left has done. Well, people inside the church and outside the church were attacking it, and so Paul wanted to refurbish it, to undergird it, and to, to encourage those who were his understudies and his delegates to, in, in the right way, uh, to teach people to live and, ha and to obey Christian uh, doctrine, now, obey Christian doctrine, adhere to Christian doctrine, and live as Christ would want them to live. And the best way to explain Christian living, Mark, in a nutshell, is to imitate Christ. Christ lived, we believe, of course, a sinless life. And the Bible, in, in the Gospels, it, it tells the story of Jesus and how he interacted with people. And even though we believe he's God, fully God and fully man, he condescended to earth to save mankind. And so he interacted with people, and the Bible relates those stories 
of his love and his patience and his magnanimity and he, how he treated everyone equally, and he never sinned. And Christians, the best way to explain in a nutshell the right Christian living is to imitate Christ as found in the stories in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. How, in your everyday life, how does this affect you? I guess you stop from time to time, and you think very deeply about these things, particularly when you're up against it, right? Yes. Well, that, yeah. I, I, I find, hearkening uh, back to a previous point uh, or previous subject, Rush, he got so much uh, solace from his faith in Christ before he died in his last years. And he, the more struggling, the more suffering he went through, the stronger his faith became. And that is often the case with, with people uh, when, they're, when they're going through hardship it will sometimes really, really strengthen their faith. And we are, the Bible tells us, both Old and New Testament, we're, we're going to experience suffering. God doesn't promise that we'll be free of suffering. In fact, he pretty much guarantees that we will suffer. But the, the, the Christian doctrine is, and, and what Paul writes about is, if you have abiding faith in Christ, it will get you through. Even though it, 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 you're not going to be spared difficulties, you have this this uh, comfort, this assurance of eternal salvation. And so you know in the end, for eternity, you, you'll be okay. And you have that perspective helps your attitude in your daily living, no matter what kind of hardships and suffering you're enduring. And, and, and Paul lays that out. And he's very, you know, honest. And, and, he, and he's very open and transparent. And the, the, an interesting thing about the Bible, Mark, and this is true of Old Testament and New Testament, is that the, the God, through, through his authors, who are, are just everyday, ordinary people, in fact, some of them are criminals. They started out, I don't know about criminals, but they, they were not all reputable people. Tax collectors who were reviled at the time, they ended up being writers of the Bible. And they, and they, uh, they tell of their own warts. They don't hide their own sins. So it's, it, it enhances the credibility. They don't just sit around and say, we're, we're perfect. We're going to be perfect. Listen to us. No, you, you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, and they just committed all kinds of sin. And God reprimanded them. And that was, that was true in the Old and New Testament. He corrected them. He punished them, but always for their own good, always out of love. And so it, it's, it's a believable uh, story from start to finish. And it's an integrated story, again, about... God's redeeming of redemption of mankind. So um, I, I, I do think in terms of how it affects me every day, it does give me assurance and solace. And I, I think the faith enhances our lives uh, in, in immeasurable ways and in intangible ways, but they're still real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The book is the, Recorrect, the Resurrected Jesus, the Church in the New Testament. Um, I have a question for you when we return, David Limbaugh. Have you ever considered doing a podcast once a week to cover these various subjects on this, on this, uh, you know, Christianity and so forth? Don't answer right now, but I really think that would be uh, quite remarkable. During the break, you can order it, Amazon.com. The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament by David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh-Bloom, his daughter, his eldest of five. Uh, You can get it at any major bookstore as well. It's a, a fantastic book. I encourage you to grab a copy. We'll be right back. 
Mark Lovin. We have my buddy David Limbaugh with us. This book by David Limbaugh and his eldest, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. He's got five kids, by the way. The Resurrected Jesus, the Church in the New Testament. You can get it on Amazon, <coughs> excuse me, Amazon.com or any major bookstore. David Limbaugh, you are trying and you've tried with, with this book, which is a really remarkable book. It's a remarkable scholarly book in plain English that's easy to understand. You are trying to reach as many people as you can because you believe the good life is within their reach and the good life for everybody is a better life for the country, no? Oh, that's totally true. And uh, I do think that everybody... Don't forget my podcast that, question, by the way, but go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> that, that God created us all with a desire to, to know him. And what I think is wrong with the left, in, in a nutshell, is that they have a void... Uh, where God is supposed to be, and so they have to fill it. And so they fill it with false gods like environmentalism. And so that's why they have such a rigid, unwavering, irrational uh, addiction to to these policies that they advocate, policies that will hurt people uh, more than they help. And they, they cannot be persuaded by facts. They accuse us of being fact deniers. In fact, they manipulate science to to uh, conform to their political agenda. They, they, do, they suppress any opposing opinions. We saw it through, throughout the, the COVID thing on the vaccines and everything else. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to see what they do and, wh- and how they suppress people because the people who have something to hide are the ones who suppress uh, and censor others. You notice the conservatives never do that because the truth is our friend. Well, if you ever under- want to understand why the left uh, is irrational and emotional. It's because uh, it is not. It, they are not fact-based, and they're not really based on. They're not really motivated to help the people they claim they want to help, such as the the downtrodden. Their policies invariably hurt. They create poverty and and uh, destruction and death throughout the history of the world. They do that, and so I think. Uh, we believe that that God is the answer. That our, our our beliefs, our political beliefs, are grounded in our spiritual foundation, and there is a connection there that is inescapable. They laugh at this, as the Bible predicted they would, uh, and so they not that they they forecast the political left, but the God deniers, and they have more fervor, ironically, than some Christians do and some Jews do about their own faith, because no to question. them, leftism is a religion, and it's irrational. They claim there's no evidence for Christianity. There's an abundance of evidence for the Bible and for Christianity. There, There is so little evidence for the things that the left believes in, and we're seeing their their path of destruction, literally destroying the country you and I love right before our very eyes. And yet they're talking to us about the dangers of Trump's authoritarianism when they want to populate all the bureaucracies with authoritarians. They want to have judges on the court who will deny the Constitution. The Constitution is what preserves liberty. They're the ones who are anti-democratic, anti-republicanism, and they claim we are. They're just a bunch of distorted uh, propagandists, and, they're, and, and it's scary to me. Amen. Now, what about this podcast 
ideas that ever crossed your mind? What did that answer have to do with my? What did that answer have to do with Nothing. my book that I'm supposed to be? Exactly. Nothing. I'm running out That's of time. Answer my question. Uh, I thank you. I'm flattered. That's the thought. I'll I'll, let, I'll give some thought to that. I, I don't know that I'm Are you qualified serious? to do it, but uh, not really. <laughs> okay, that's what I was afraid of. Well, I might. I might. I mean, I really do. I take what you say with a lot of uh, respect, a lot of reverence. So I'm I'm honored with by the suggestion. I will think about that. I want to thank you for all the time you've given us here. The book is by David Limbaugh and his daughter Kristen Limbaugh Bloom who I know is a lovely lady, and her husband is a lovely young man. The Resurrected Jesus, the Church in the New Testament. You can go to Amazon.com right now and grab a copy. I think you'll find it very, very worthwhile. Or you can go to any major bookstore. It'll be there as well. David, I want to thank you, and congratulations to you, and my best to Kristen, too. Thank I can't thank you enough for this. I don't deserve it, but I, I'll take it gratefully. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, you do. God bless you, brother. You take care. And folks, he's one of my best friends. Rush was one of my best friends. Hannity's one of my best friends. So I have a number of best friends. Not a lot, handful. And uh, we've known each other quite a long time, actually, at this point. And getting old together. I don't mean physically, you understand. Just getting old. And I agree with those of you who say we really miss Rush and his take on things and so forth. You better believe we do. And I'm the first one, or David is. I'll be the second one to tell you. <clears throat> Some people you just can't replace. Not that you would try, but he's certainly one of them. And uh, he passed way too early, and uh, we very much need him on the national scene. But, you know, we have to take it up. Uh, we have to take up the uh, the battle, and that's what this is. Unfortunately, we're in the middle of it. And so uh, if you love the country, and you do, if you want to keep your liberty, and you do, if you want to keep your lifestyle, and you do, we've got to win. And they're trying to destroy all of it, all of it. And they're going to do it in the relative blink of an eye if we don't stop it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker brothers and sisters, the men and women in Ukraine and Taiwan. Thank you for what you're doing and trying to do. Get the book, The Resurrected Jesus, Amazon.com, and I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.